Good evening. It's a bulletin over there. So, uh, you know that when, anytime they ask me to speak, uh, I'm going to talk to you about what I've been thinking about and studying on, which are one and the same, because if I'm thinking about it, I'm going to be studying on it, uh, and vice versa. Um, and so, recently, I've been studying reconciliation, and so uh, that's the title I gave uh, Tracy for the lesson. And our text for this evening is going to be Second uh, Corinthians 5. And verse 18 through about 21. And I'll start by reading that to you. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And let us go to our Father in prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're thankful for this opportunity to come together again, Father, as a family, as your children, to praise and exalt your holy name. We're thankful for this church and the family here that is so dear to each of us and that we love one another so much as we saw in the example of Jesus and in accordance with your will. And we're thankful this evening for this portion of our worship to you to present a message, to share your word with one another, and to think on these things, commit them to memory, and to apply them to our lives. And we pray that you'll bless me, Father, to uh, deliver an organized message uh, that uh, that the hearers can act upon from your word and that you'll bless each of those hearing this lesson father that they might be edified and that they might know what you expect father bless each one of us with uh, with the receptive hearts and and good attention that we might benefit from this lesson. And thank you most of all for Jesus, and it's in his name. Amen. All right, so in Second Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, to give it context, uh, well, really to give it appropriate context, we had to back up uh, and read the book of First Corinthians and then go into Second Corinthians. But for the sake of time, I'm going to start in chapter 5 and verse 9, uh, where it says, Therefore, we make it our aim, and this is Paul writing uh, this uh, letter to the church in Corinth. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For, which generally is translated to mean because, so we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him because we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, According to what he has done, whether good or bad, knowing therefore the fear or the terror of the Lord, depending upon your translation, we persuade men. So, kind of summarize what we've read so far. Uh, We make it our aim to be pleasing to God because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and to be judged for the things done in the body according to what he has done. So it's important to understand that first. Uh, We are God-fearing people, children of God, who must uh, appear before the judgment seat of Christ and to be judged for the things that we've done in the body. 
whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, this fear of the Lord, we persuade men. And we're going to get into that uh, in verses 18 through 21 that I've already read about persuading men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. So Paul, on behalf of the apostles, being an apostle himself, is speaking from that perspective here. And he goes on in verse 12 to say, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, and if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Uh, So it's not our love for Christ that compels us and motivates us and moves us forward alone. It is Christ's love for us first. Because did he not first love us and love us more and the most? Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And in verse 15, goes on to say that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So uh, we are compelled or, or motivated or moved by Christ's love. And it's easy for us, it's easy for us to examine ourselves, uh, to evaluate our love for him. And remember, when we take the Lord's Supper, we often go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 there, and we're told that so ought a man to examine himself as he participates in the Lord's Supper. And this is one such passage that helps us do that. We can evaluate our love for him because he said here in verse 15, those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So to evaluate my love for Christ and reciprocating his love for me, uh, am I truly living my life for him and no longer for myself? And that's a question we ask ourselves continually. In verse 16, it goes on to say, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. So, uh, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh because, as you read in, in Romans chapter 7 and 8, especially chapter 8 there, we are spiritually minded people now and no longer uh, uh, people who who uh, uh, dwell and think on the fleshly things, right? We are spiritually minded people, and this gets us into that agape love. Remember, agape love is uh, uh, outcome and results oriented. We know that it's God's will. God wants for all men to be saved, for every soul to be saved. And we have a role to play in, in uh, accomplishing the will of God there, do we not? And so we don't regard anyone uh, in fleshly terms anymore. Uh, we uh, regard people in spiritual terms. And then when we, when we interact with another soul, uh, it is our objective and in every interaction, it is our concern and our objective and our goal uh, in accordance with the will of God that that soul will spend eternity in heaven with God because it's God's will and we are his instruments of righteousness. Therefore, in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So it's important here in establishing the context for the verses that we're going to get into beginning in verse 18 about reconciliation that uh, he's written a letter to the church in Corinth, the saved, the children of God, those who have already been baptized into Christ and have already been reconciled to God through that baptism. And so he says he is a new creation if you're in Christ. There's only one way to get in Christ, and that is through the watery grave of baptism. Old things have passed away. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So in setting the context for the verses that are to come, uh, once you have been reconciled to God, once you have been baptized into Christ, you are a new creature, a new creation, uh, and, and focused on spiritual things and concerned. Uh, you have that agape love uh, and you're concerned for the eternal home of every soul with whom you come into contact. And this was addressed to the church then. 
we see things differently. We think differently. We judge differently. All things appear anew to us, and we have different perspectives. And uh, we, uh, we examine all things uh, to determine what is good in accordance with the will of God and what is said against God. And so coming into verse 18, first of all, we have to understand that reconciliation is, uh, it means that there used to be a problem, that there was a ruptured relationship, that there was alienation and separation. So reconciliation is the establishment of peace and harmony. It bridges that chasm. Hostilities have ended. And so just one illustration that I like to think about is, you know, that bridge that comes over the port out of Government Hill that comes into downtown. Um, If that bridge were to collapse and you were in the vicinity and you knew about it and you knew that cars would be speeding down that hill out of Government Hill, uh, you would be uh, pretty excited about getting over there to stop that traffic to help save those people from driving off into that chasm there uh, in the port, if you will. So why do we need reconciliation? Let's look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, and we'll look at two other passages also. Romans six twenty-three tells us, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So two things important here. Uh, The wages of sin, that's death. And then the gift, the free gift of God. And you remember, grace is unmerited favor. There's nothing we can do to earn it. That's all on him, right? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ. Christ Jesus our Lord and it's very important to keep that in the context we had just read about uh, in Christ uh, there in first Corinthians second Corinthians chapter 5 as setting the context for our discussion about reconciliation uh, and that's a concept that is well worthy of, uh, of much study uh, if you want a, a topical study study the concept of being in Christ and all that means and that that's where all the blessings are found uh, being in Christ all right Um, all the spiritual blessings in Christ. And look at uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 tells us, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So the wrath of God was revealed from, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then look at John chapter 3, and we'll read 17 through 19. And John chapter 3, beginning with verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So don't love darkness at all. And 2 Corinthians, uh, back to 2 Corinthians 5, We get into our text, uh, verses 18 through 21 there. Uh, And first of all, uh, I I wanted to pose a question. Uh, So when he speaks here about reconciliation in this passage, he has written this to the church in Corinth. So uh, when he says in verse 18 that... uh, God who has reconciled us to him uh, himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And then down in verse 20 where he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. So us and we, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation and we are ambassadors for Christ. Uh, And so you might look at that and say, well, Paul here is speaking on behalf of the apostles. So he's talking about 
the ministry of reconciliation having been given to apostles, not to the Corinthian church he was writing his letter to. And that when he said, we are ambassadors for Christ, that uh, he meant we the apostles are the ambassadors for Christ and not the audience, the church in Corinth. Uh, and so anytime you see pronouns like this, you've got to back up and start looking for what they call the antecedent, right? And like, for example, if you're talking about uh, a, a man, for example, and then down below that, you're reading a paragraph and you accidentally see the word she, and you say she, now who, who are they talking about? And sometimes this happens in conversation. Uh, where you lose track of somebody because the pronouns don't match the last person that they they recognized, right? And so um, that would be a pronoun antecedent error because she doesn't match the name of the man that was given most recently in the text as you back up, right? So in these pronouns, and you back up, and you start backing up, and I see much, uh, even in chapter 5, that uh, appears to have been written to the church in Corinth, um, and so I would argue from, from that grammatical position anyway that, uh, yes, the apostles were given the ministry of reconciliation. Yes, the, impossible, the, the apostles are ambassadors for Christ, but that these things were written in reference to the church also. And what was written to the church in Corinth was intended for us as well. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2... In verse 2, he wrote to Timothy, <laughs> make it Second Timothy chapter, two, uh, chapter, yeah, 2 and 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, moving it forward. So, uh, Paul here tells Timothy, commit the things that you learned from me to faithful men who will, uh, in turn, teach more faithful men. Uh, and then that's been going on since this was first written uh, some 2,000 years ago. And it's still being done just the way Paul commanded it to be done uh, as an inspired writer of the gospel. Uh, we're still uh, sharing these things that Paul had written with faithful men who will teach others also. That's why I'm up here doing this right now, right? And then we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and 1, where uh, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and 1, Paul said, Be imitators of me as I am also of Christ. And then also Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. Philippians 3 and 17, where... Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who walk as you have us for a pattern. So we're following a pattern here, and the pattern is spoken of all throughout the New Testament, uh, and it's where we, we learn uh, how to conduct uh, worship and the Lord's Supper and singing and our, our offering and all the things that we do when we come together. Uh, we're following the pattern that uh, was set forth by the apostles. And so beginning with verse 18, he says here, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. So uh, all things are of God. It's important going into this passage about reconciliation that it's all God. There is absolutely nothing that any of us could ever do to earn being reconciled to God. Um, and when we talk about the cost of reconciliation, God's cost of reconciliation here in a moment, you'll understand that that's just not something we can compete with. It's not anything that we can can match in this lifetime. So that's the most important thing. Understand that all things are of God. And um, that's why oftentimes when... Uh, when we're uh, paid a compliment or we're, we're we, together as Christians, we're talking about something good that happened, uh, we say, glory to God. The glory goes to God. And it says here that, uh, it repeats it in verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. 
And it says uh, in, in this passage between verses 18 and 21, uh, there's some form of reconciliation or the word reconcile is mentioned five different times. So when I say that I've been thinking and studying on this myself, Satan wants you, wants us to doubt that we've been forgiven. He wants us to doubt this reconciliation to God. But it's important for, for us to understand our condition and to be spiritually realistic about that. I have even been made to doubt God's forgiveness for me uh, on occasion. Uh, and so you go into his word and you, you strengthen, uh, you strengthen your, your faith uh, in that regard by studying these concepts in God's word. And so you have an offender, and that'll be me for all intents and purposes, right? Uh, so you have an offender who uh, offends God, and then you have the offended, right? And uh, these these uh, words are used in, in legal discussions all the time, right? You have an offender, and you have the offended, right? Uh, the perp and the victim, if you will. And so uh, the way it works in our minds is, uh, and this is man's logic versus God's logic. In man's logic, if you offend me, then I want you to initiate reconciliation, right? I mean, there, there might even sometimes be a haughty expectation of you kind of crawling back to me, begging for forgiveness for having wronged or offended or hurt me, Right? Um, but here's God offering reconciliation to man freely. Now, don't get ahead of me. That's not to say that God has no expectations for us, that there's nothing on our part that he expects us to do. That's not the case. But you have the the offended God uh, and and who is... God is good. God is all good and goodness. There's nothing about God that isn't good. He's not capable of doing anything that is not good. When we hear the word good or think of good, God is the first thing that comes to our mind, right? God has blessed us, uh, his children, uh, so richly in so many ways, and all of mankind uh, as our creator. There is, there, there is uh, only good in God. He has only ever loved us and cared for us and provided for us and given us a path to spend eternity with him in heaven instead of uh, in judgment uh, and eternal damnation. He has given us that path. God is good. On the other hand, you have the offender. So that's the offended God. And then on the other hand, you have the offender. Uh, <clears throat> me, for our example here, uh, who um, uh, I'm, I'm not going to get into my history and tell you about my life before Christ, before this reconciliation uh, was was made available to me. Um, and there are reasons for that. In Philippians 3 and verse 13 and 14, Paul, after he listed some of the things that he had been involved in that were wrong and sinful and bad, he said, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, right? Uh, and then God says, God tells us, I will remember their sins no more. <clears throat> and I, I wish that I could do that, not remember my sins anymore. We sing that song, remember not the sins of my youth so we're singing that song in praise to god asking him please don't remember the sins of my youth well you got it you got it tells us right here he will not remember their sins and i don't talk about those things generally uh because i know that uh it it hurts my mother uh when when i talk about my sinful past and uh, uh some of the things that that i did in my youth that i just uh prefer to forget that's not to say that there won't be a won't ever be a time when it's useful to mention that perhaps uh that for example uh one time i i consumed a lot of alcohol uh, and that was just part of it right uh 
and there might be a situation where I'm helping a brother uh, who is dealing with that same thing uh, and that, that I need to open up to him and practice a little self-disclosure that, then it's appropriate. be appropriate for me to talk about my drinking from 30-some-odd years ago, right? But I'd rather just forget the past unless that situation arises and I have to become all things to all men to help to help them overcome by showing them my example. Paul has done that, does that also in Scripture. But I'm not going to have that conversation in front of my wife or my mother because I know that uh, they are among probably a, a good number of people that, uh, that I don't want to remind of those things. So all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. So God reconciles us to himself. It doesn't say I have reconciled myself to God through Christ or I have reconciled my God around Christ or anything like that. God is the one acting here. God, the offended, is the one reconciling man to himself and offering that avenue. In verse 19, he repeats, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And now this part, I'm I'm really having trouble wrapping my mind around, where it says, not imputing their trespasses to them. In other words, not holding their sins against them. And now now think think about how we do it. When someone hurts or offends us, or uh, someone commits uh, something against us, um, we're, we're generally not, you know, being, being angry and being hurt and frustrated, we're generally not the one that's going to initiate reconciliation and offer that path of reconciliation. Um, as Christians, certainly, we do. We come to an understanding that that's how things work, and Though initially it blew our minds when we first learned that God operated this way, uh, now as ambassadors of Christ and we show people uh, forgiveness, uh, then their minds are sufficiently blown just as ours were. But not imputing their trespasses to them. And when I think about that, so I, you know, you have the age of accountability. That's when you first reach an understanding of what sin is and that you've committed it and that you're wrong and that you've offended God and the people that you hurt and done things against. Um, so from the age of accountability, for me, it was probably somewhere in the mid-teens, I don't know, you know, pre-teen. Um, so if I sit down and make a list of, of all of my sins and all the things that I've done wrong and all the things that I've done to hurt God and other people, and I write out that long list, um, I'm here to tell you that would be quite a list, right? Uh, and I might even argue that my list would be longer than yours. I don't know, right? We could debate that. But that would be a pretty long list. And for me to wrap my mind and my heart around in verse 20 here where it says that... Uh, or in verse 19 where it says, God, not imputing their trespasses to them, has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And so he has given us the ministry of reconciliation and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So uh, the apostles were the ambassadors for Christ, which, you know, you think about the ambassadors for the United States. They go to other countries all around the world. They speak on behalf of the United States. Right? They are representatives of the United States, and they're, uh, they're well-studied, and they're speaking the words of the United States, so with the foundation of that being the Constitution, of course. Um, and there's a lot more involved. But, uh, so the apostles were God's representative to man. And then we have his, the revelation of that in his word. So it is true that the apostles were the ambassadors to, to uh uh, to man from God, but uh, do we not have the same charge that that they did in in terms of? And we read the passage there in Second Timothy two and two, where uh, he said, "Commit these things to faithful men, so that they might teach others also." It works the same way. That's why it's important that we understand. The scripture says, "Wherefore any man speaks, so let him speak as of the oracles of God." It's not your word. It's not your policies and and uh, your story, uh, it's from the Word of God, and it must be accurate. Uh, 
So to understand why it was necessary, uh, uh, or to help us understand why all things are of God, let's look real quick at Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 16. Ezekiel 34 and 16 where it says I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick but I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment and then let's look at uh, Isaiah 59 the passage you'll be very familiar with that we go too often In Isaiah 59, I'll begin with verse 1 where it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. So this is why reconciliation was necessary. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies and your tongue has muttered, perversity and then he goes on there in verse 4 to say no one calls for justice nor does any plead for truth and then down in verse 12 he goes on to say for our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us for our transgressions are with us and as for our iniquities we know them In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. So you participate in evil, you depart from it, Satan will pursue you. Uh, he is the, the predator, you are the prey. And then uh, we know that Satan is prowling about like a roaring lion looking for some soul to devour. And there in verse 15 it says, Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him. Of course, God was very displeased by all of the sinful acts of men And we know that God abhors sin. He is, uh, God hates sin. It's important for us to understand that. Back to verse 15, that there was no justice. We know that God loves justice. In verse 16 it says, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him. So God was appalled that there was no intercessor, that there was no mediator for man. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. Let's look back up to Isaiah chapter 55 and look at 8 and 9 there. In Isaiah chapter 55, in verse 8 and 9, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And also, uh, I'm sorry, let's back up again to Isaiah 45. Just checking to make sure you're paying attention. In verse 8 and 9, where it says, Rain down, you heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open, let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. So God created righteousness. And in 46, in verse 12 and 13, it goes on to say, Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted who are far from righteousness. I bring my righteousness near, it shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. And then back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to look here at the cost of reconciliation. Now, we've already talked about how we can't pay the cost 
of reconciliation. God did that. And there's absolutely nothing we can do to match it or to earn it, the reconciliation. So in verse 21, we see the cost of reconciliation where he says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And uh, I've, I've heard a couple of preachers preach from this passage and say that uh, the, the more accurate translation uh, is that, uh, uh, for he made him who knew no sin to be a sin offering for us. Uh, and to be honest with you, I don't know the difference, and uh, I don't know any Greek, so I can't explain that to you. But just to let you know that the, I'm, I've got the, the New King James here, and it says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. I don't I want to make sure you don't have the impression that Jesus was at any point sinful. He bore the sins of the world on his shoulders. He took that on uh, when he was crucified. Uh, but he was the perfect lamb, the uh, perfect example for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. So the cost of reconciliation. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. We'll begin with verse 6 there. And I'll read 6 through 10. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifices and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may have established the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And it's important to remember that. We're sanctified. We're set apart. We're different. We're meant to be different. We're not equally yoked with evil. God has set us apart. It's okay to be different. It's okay to be persecuted for being different for being pure and holy and righteous as God has called us. Did you know that God called us to be faithful? That he called us to be holy? That he called us to be righteous? Is it okay for us to say that? Is it okay for us to be holy and righteous? And among ourselves even to say that I am living a faithful, holy, and righteous life? Our denominational friends have made that very taboo. That's arrogant. That's haughty. To consider yourselves righteous and holy and faithful or any any combination of those things. But if God has called us to be those things, to live in that condition, two things. First, do it, right? And then don't be afraid to acknowledge that. Don't be afraid to say, I am Danny Elmore, a holy man of God, faithful, I'm doing my best to be righteous because I have been called to these things. Let's look at Romans 8 and 3 through 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 3, says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So is this defining us? Do we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit? Are we doing that? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Okay, and so you flip that. If... if if I've set my mind on the things of the flesh, then I'm walking according to the flesh. Being told here not to do that. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. 
But to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We have to make a choice. We have to stick to it. That's why in the passage where it says, laying aside all malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, and all the passages that talk about laying aside is talking about a deliberate act with permanent results to live in accordance with the will of God. And then uh, okay. Uh, and so let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Um, no, I'm sorry, Romans 6. So back to our text in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, in chapter 6 now. We've moved past uh, our the text of our lesson. And so I read some before uh, 18 through 21 there to, to give you context. Now I'll read a little bit after to give it context. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 6. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Uh, sounds like Romans chapter 6 and verse 1 where it says, uh, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Same concept. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. In much patience and tribulations and needs and distress and stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors and sleeplessness, fastings, purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. O Corinthians, in verse 11, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, sanctified. Same word, separate, sanctified. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, verse 1 of chapter 7, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And in Romans chapter 6, and we're drawing to a close here. In Romans chapter 6, and we'll look at 12 through 23, where he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, 
whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became you became slaves of righteousness. So we're, we're slaves to one or the other, but not both. So it's a choice that we make. We are either slaves to sin or we are slaves of righteousness. And that's a choice that we have to make as a deliberate act with permanent results. In verse 19, he goes on to say, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now, now I'm going to back up, because in verse 19 there he said, For just as you presented, past tense, very important to pay attention to the tenses in Scripture. So past tense, uh, just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now, so now we're in the present tense, right? Now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. We are called to be faithful. We are called to be holy. And we are called to be righteous throughout Scripture. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I want to point out, point out one more thing from our, uh, the text. There in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20, Paul said, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. God pleading, he says. The ambassadors for Christ speak for God, just like the ambassadors of the U.S. speak for the U.S., right? And he says that, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, one more point on reconciliation. Because I believe that we, like the apostles, have been given the ministry of reconciliation and that we are ambassadors for Christ in that regard. So in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, toward the end of the chapter, we can start at verse 30, where he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Guys, I'm not sure what that means, but I can tell it's not a good thing. Grieving the Holy Spirit that I received as a gift when I was baptized. Okay, so how do I avoid that? Well, he goes on to tell you. Verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. That's a tough one, though. Who can lay aside evil speaking? Who can do that? James talks about controlling the tongue. Well, it's expected of us. We actually have to do that, right? So evil speaking, catch yourself when you do that. Have your spouse help you out, right? Because you're there to help each other, right? So you get to speak in evil. And, and you know, uh, gossip is condemned through several passages, but, but aren't we more comfortable doing that with our spouse as though they weren't also a child of God, right? What are we thinking? What is wrong with us sometimes? Evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Malice is, malice is the intent to do harm to another in any, any conceivable form. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. So, uh, the ministry of reconciliation came from God. God's the reconciler, not us. We're his ambassadors. But he's pleading, 
pleading for us to be reconciled to him and then pleading through us for others to be reconciled to him also. And here he talks about being reconciled to one another. And then last scripture, I promise. Um, I think it's Matthew... Maybe it's here. No. Um, Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> and I'll close with this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. God is the reconciler. He's the only one who can reconcile. We can't reconcile our reconcile ourselves to him. It's kind of like baptism. Remember baptism isn't something you do. It's like, you know, I baptized myself. Uh in every scriptural examples, they're baptized a person is baptized by someone else. So uh, this is uh, something that you allow to be done to you. And isn't it beautiful that the first thing you do upon entering Christ is an act of submission, just like being reconciled to God. But know that uh, God places conditions upon that reconciliation. He has expectations of us, and we've already talked about one of them, baptism. That's when it's initiated. That's when it begins. And then throughout the rest of your life, uh, live faithful and holy and be righteous because he made us to be righteous through Christ so that we can spend eternity with him in heaven. If you have any needs, this is the time for you to come forward and make those known to us. If you want more study, uh, we always wel- welcome uh, and, and are excited about that. Um, And uh, if you need to repent for sins, uh, this is a place where people will pray for you fervently and add you to the list and continue to pray for you because the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. uh, And God would have us pray for you. And if you haven't been baptized, uh, the water is always ready and uh, we can study with you more if you need to or uh, uh, take care of whatever needs you have if you'll just come forward as we sing.